G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The Story Yeah, God is good. Like, even when you have no idea what's going on, He just pulls you out of that dark place. He breathes life. He speaks life. He'll use whoever He needs to, to get that creative word to happen. None of it's an accident. I'm grateful to what that meant. Well, my baby and I. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Today, Natalie Wood will share her incredible life journey. Due to family circumstances, her early life involved rejection and rebellion. Later, she found herself pregnant and experienced an enclamptic fit during childbirth. She died once herself and her special needs son died numerous times during childbirth. She'll share how she found forgiveness and faith as she has a chat with Karen Hunt. Nat, I have come to know that you have a real passion for women, for seeing them reach their potential, for seeing them free in mm. Christ. Your background's in beauty therapy and you're experienced in administration across numerous different work fields and industries. But to find out more about your story, let's go right back to the very beginning. Mm. Born and bred, New South Wales girl? I am. Whereabouts? I'm actually a Shire girl. I was Shire girl. I was born in Sutherland Hospital. I was going to say, which Shire? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, funnily enough, my grandparents lived right across the road. I assure you that my name actually means Christmas child. I was born on Good Friday and my mother always reminds me every single year that she ate a hot cross bun when I was born and it didn't go down well. Oh my goodness, (laughs) is that true? Yeah. And so um, I always think uh, that's just a funny paradox of life, isn't it? That sometimes when we're birthing things, um, it doesn't go to plan all the time. So anyway, I came into the world and I was the Christmas child, but I was born in April on Good Friday, which is just bizarre. But well, hey, God had good things in mind he did. when you came to the world. <laughs> Were you a firstborn or where did you come in your family? I was actually the fourth. Um, at the time, I was the youngest of four. Then um, in later years, my mum would remarry and when I was 10, she began a new family. And so I have five siblings that are half siblings but they're really my full siblings in my heart and my mind because I was at home for the longest because I was the youngest of the first four and the eldest of the next five. So I had the most to do with family life because I was smack bang in the middle. Wow, that's like nine kids yeah. all together, yep. blended family. Yes. But those early, earliest years, so dad mm. was around? Yeah, my dad was a carpenter and he built pole homes in Wollongong. Uh, we grew up there and we actually lived across the road from a beach which was my nana's home, which was my mum's mum. And it was a beautiful, glorious location. And I spent a lot of time actually at that location. Things were quite tumultuous. Um, My dad was in and out of work. And yeah, that really 
brought us to a hard place. Um, subsequently, my parents divorced when I was, I think I was six, six years old. And how did that affect you and the siblings of the time? Um, well, I was extremely traumatised just because I was a daddy's girl. It hit me hard and I just remember being in shock for a very long time and not actually being able to wrap my heart or my head around it. I just, I was confused. I was angry. I was just in a, an unhappy, confused place, just feeling like in the dark. My siblings, because they were three, four and five years older than I am, or actually four, five and six years older, I should say. So they were a little bit more... I guess au fait with how they really felt. They kind of knew how to navigate that a bit better. But being the youngest, I was just, what's going on? Mm. Had no idea how to handle it. Did they have the capacity to, you know, take you under their wing or things were just all a bit too hard? Uh, no. Um, we had some fantastic friends of our family and they were the ones really that took me by their side and just took me under their wing as a family. They were a little nucleus family with a girl and a boy. And they were the ones really that, yeah, just watched and were there to pick up pieces when things were going pear-shaped. And the other thing I did, I really... I uh, loved the church that we had gone to as a, as a family. Um, my parents had left it, but I stayed in that zone and I stayed in that zone with the families that were there because that's all I knew. So that was my world. And I, I just really wanted to be there because it felt safe and I was happy and I really just spent a lot of my life growing up in church. So your church became your family. It was, yeah. Your significance. Really adopted into that. security. Yeah, That's yeah. pretty special. It was. And I will never forget that. It was written on my heart and I really think it was a strategy of the Lord. I really think he just used that time to embrace me with the families that were there, strong faithful families. Were you still living with your mum in those early uh, years? Yeah, I was. Our dad tried to look after all four of us kids and that that's a funny story. Um, <laughs> we, we'll always remember fish fingers actually because he, okay. <laughs> he used to present them to us every night for dinner. Sorry, dad, if you're listening. Um, and yeah, we just would have this running joke about how you could have fish fingers in about 101 different ways. So even now we'll joke with dad about that and just say, oh, please, no fish fingers <laughs> if he's in the kitchen. Yeah, bless dad. He did try to really nurture and love on us. He really didn't want to leave the marriage, I feel. He, he was heartbroken at the time, so he just handed that over to mum and so we went back and lived with mum and her, I guess, interest at the time back then would have been quite early days, I guess. But um, she was really quick to move on, but dad took a long, long time mm. to actually process that. Being a daddy's girl, I kind of felt like I took dad's side a bit and I missed him. So when I went and lived with mum, all the four of us lived with mum, really that was another time that just was really dark for me and... She was having a tough time having more children. So I was kind of in that chaos with them. And yeah, I just remember a lot of what was happening with me was not making sense. And I kind of just 
I held it. I don't know. I just held it in. But I had a very dear friend that was beginning to see what was presenting as anxiety, I guess, even back then. And that all stemmed from fear, just the things surrounding my parents um, divorcing and just what that really meant for me. I had a surrogate big sister at the time, so not my actual sister, but her best friend come alongside me at that time. So when I was a teenager, I was very rebellious. Yeah, I'd just run with the crowd and the popular girls and just be a bit of a rat bag, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I was popular. I was liked. I was sporty. I was athletic. I was going to say, what were you good at? What yeah. were you into? So I was a sprinter and I remember getting champion girl when I was like 12 years old. Congratulations. <laughs> I blitzed it. And I kind of focused all my energies in on, on, yeah, the physical side of things and just being really good at athletics. And yeah, I found what I loved. But it all kind of went pear-shaped again when I was 16. Um, I presented with what looked like probably to the outsider an emotional breakdown. And I was only 16. I was in year 10. Really, it came out of nowhere, I thought, but it actually didn't because it was unresolved forgiveness that I needed to unpack for myself. For the very first time, I had to come to a place where I just needed to forgive mum and dad particularly mm -hmm. and honour them mm -hmm. or find out how to do that and how to love them. Um, I got water baptised when I was 13, so I'd started a relationship with Jesus when I was about 13, even though I grew up in the church. And then, um, yeah, the Lord just really wanted to start working on me. And so by the time I was 16, he was putting his finger on forgiveness. And I worked through a book, and that book was called Caring Enough to Forgive um, by an author called David Augsburger. And he wrote a book that turned upside down, so it was quite an unusual book, but was really effective to understand forgiveness and um, just really spoke to me at that time. So again, the title? Caring Enough to Forgive. Caring Enough to Forgive by? David Augsburger. Mm. And so I worked through that book and it brought me out of my emotional black hole. I was actually bedridden for a whole week. And I believe it was sort of linked in with glandular fever, which interesting enough now I realise was also spiritually connected somehow to what was happening for me in unforgiveness. So it's really interesting. We're so complex as people that nothing is separated out. Mm. We're so interwoven mm. and so interconnected. And often what's going on in the inside will manifest yeah. in certain ways that come out physically yep. and, uh, yeah, present yes. in a way we'd never imagine. Yes. And so here I was, ripe age of 16, yeah. sweet 16, yep. just journeying the hardest thing in the world, I thought. Mm. But that wasn't to be the hardest thing. So just when you think that's the hardest thing, actually, no, there's more ahead. I was really just in a place of, of trusting the Lord at that time. You're listening to The Story. Today, Natalie Wood is sharing her life journey with Karen Hunt. Next, we're going to hear how she found herself increasingly in a dark place. But then God's love eventually shone through. We'll find out how when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt chatting with Natalie Wood and finding out her life journey. As we heard, she grew up in Wollongong, New South Wales. Now we're going to hear about the next chapter in her life as she moved with her family to Canberra. You finished year 10 in Wollongong. You told me that you moved to Canberra with your mum. So she's relocated with your stepdad. All of the natural siblings that were living with you prior, they've all now grown up, left home. You're moving to Canberra. You're starting a whole new life. So year 11, year 12, did you Mm. go ahead to finish those? Yes, I did. Uh, My first day of year 11 was very surreal. I'm completely foreign to this system. So what happens there is everybody leaves year 10 and everybody goes into a new school at the beginning of year 11. So in a sense, that's a good thing though. I mean, it's not like you're coming into a system as the new kid and they all know each other. You're starting senior with others, new place, new school. Okay, so that was a positive or not really? Well, I thought it was a negative, but it's quickly spun around to a positive when I realised... The penny dropped was actually okay because everyone was a new kid on the block, not just me. So that was reassurance Mm. and a good thing, yeah. But um, everything else was new. And I guess I was just still very caught in a trap of rebellion and rejection. And I really didn't understand how I could get back into a place where I could just have balance. I didn't really have that assurance yet, even though I'd given my life to Christ. I still had this big swing between rejection and rebellion. You were saying to me off air, though, that in your new family situation, you're now uh, there with your five half-brothers and sisters. Mm. You're the only child left natural to your mum. You also said, though, that in your new school, you jumped into drama. You got involved in the creative world. So here's a new platform, I Mm. guess, for you to express yourself. Was that a help or was that a hindrance? Mm. Wow, that exposed me to a lot. Yeah, that was an eye-opener. I really got to unpack my rebellion (laughs) and more rejection. I felt like it was very... If I can say humanistic from what I'm doing now, yeah, I wouldn't have said that at the time. I would have just said I was free and exploring and discovering stuff. I was exposed to drugs. I was dating a childhood sweetheart, but he actually lived four hours away. So he was back in Wollongong? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I'd connected up with him and thought that was all lovely and sweet, but actually there was some darkness there and that wasn't going to be a healthy decision for me, I found out in later years. All right, so let's paint this picture even more clear. You're at the age of 17, you're exploring drugs, you're becoming more promiscuous in Mm. your behaviour, in Mm. your activity, and you find yourself pregnant to your childhood sweetheart. At the age of 20, you are birthing Mm. a baby. Mm. Were you supported in that pregnancy time? Um, At the time, I felt really convicted to be married to this person. Um, 
I was delusional in that <laughs> because it turns out that he didn't actually want to marry me. So I was really struggling with that and the throes of the decision of now having a, a new life within me. Again, it just felt like a really dark, sad time for me. That's a confusing yeah, time. Yeah, I was really I confused, imagined. actually. But the marriage did go ahead yep. amidst your lost state. Yeah. And you gave birth to a baby boy. Mm-hmm. But I think the essence of this story is in the fact that both you and your baby died. Mm, yep. And not once, but numerous times, mm-hmm. each of you, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of what happened then? Okay, so textbook labour, labouring for six hours, everything seemingly smooth, felt that I was coping quite well. Um, I was going into a moment or a time called transition I was trying to get up onto a bed. Of course, you don't know what's ahead of you in this respect, but yeah, my arms started swinging out of control and I was like, I'm watching my arms swing, but I'm actually not telling myself to do that. So it was a very surreal feeling. Mm-hmm. And then the nurse yelled my name and said, Natalie. And I knew at that moment I had to answer her because she was alert to what was going on, but I was not. When she grabbed my arm and said, Natalie, I tried to, I tried to say yes. (laughs) I was mute. I couldn't talk. I couldn't say it. And then my husband at the time on the other side of the bed was being instructed by the midwife, hang on to her, get, get her. And he just screamed, God, don't let them die. Somebody save them. And that was the last thing I heard. And I was blacked out. I heard nothing. I saw nothing. I was in complete and utter darkness. And that was really traumatic. Didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. Then it was like I opened my eyes. There's 20 people in the room. They're saying to me, you've just had an eclamptic fit. And I'm like, what is that? (laughs) I don't even know. So I'm not coherent enough to understand. I'm just in that moment of trauma. Then from that moment, I was just legs in stirrups, pulling the baby out. 40 minutes later, there was no real coherency from my part. I couldn't push him. There was no cooperation from my body. It was out for the Mm -hmm. count. So then the baby was put onto my tummy and they said, he's not breathing right. We're just going to take him. Had to rely on my family's recollection of what had happened. Um, The baby, he, yeah, from our note, he had died eight times in the ambulance being transported from Wollongong up to Westmead. So we were being transported then after this trauma and off we went. But and I that, didn't. That's not just down the road. No, We're that's talking like Wollongong hours. to Sydney. Yeah, two hours. Mm-hmm. And because I guess at the time they thought we were write-offs, no one had ever survived. It's one in fifty thousand women Whoa. have this eclampsia or preeclampsia, and they really try to divert you away from having the eclamptic fit, which is what happened to me. So. Yeah, we're getting transported to Westmead, but we weren't care flight helicoptered because I'm pretty sure they had written us off. Wow. Yeah. And your boy? Yep. He died. Yeah. They revived him eight times. They'd already revived me once. Mm -hmm. I was pretty much in a coma to my knowledge and they had to, by drugs, 
wake me back up to say goodbye to him before he went to Westmead. That was extremely surreal. I just remember putting my hand on him and off he was gone. Okay, get us out of our suspense. Yeah. So he lived? (coughs) Yes. Hooray! I know. Yep. Miracle. (laughs) Not because of anything I did, but because of the Lord. And, And my husband at the time, he spoke life. And he didn't understand that he was speaking life over us at that critical moment. And I believe it's by that word that he spoke out in desperation to the Lord that then allowed or made way for our miracle. And that was me living and the baby. So... Yeah, God is good. Like, even when you have no idea what's going on, he just pulls you out of that dark place. He breathes life. He speaks life. He'll use whoever he needs to, to get that creative word to happen. None of it's an accident. I'm grateful to what that meant for my baby and I, or for our family. Baby James was born with cerebral palsy. Yeah, brain damage. But baby James is still alive today. Yep, he sure is. The first two years of his young life, I know that you suffered greatly from post-traumatic stress disorder, which had a major effect on your marriage, Mm. your brand new marriage to your childhood sweetheart from Wollongong. Can you Mm. pick up from there? Yeah, I guess no one really comes out unscathed from that. So it was a slippery slope and it happened fairly quickly. I was suffering in silence. I didn't know how to communicate that. And I didn't communicate that except through my protest. And yet again, it was like rebellion. So I was like, don't come close to me because something's wrong. You're dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I broke the marriage off at the age of 22 and went on a soul-finding, a heart mission to just find who who the Lord was again. I was pretty lost. I was still in darkness, really full of fear. Didn't really know how to communicate that either, but the Lord knew I was seeking Him. Yeah, His love for me. At the age of 22, I subsequently moved to Sydney to start a new life with my baby, who is now two. We settled in Sydney. I'm working office projects all around Sydney, basically. And he's integrated into mainstream childcare centres. And yeah, he was really being cared for by some incredible people. And they were really helping me just pick up and try to exist and survive as a single mum with a special needs baby. What a brave woman. I just want to encourage everyone. It's been a difficult thing to get to this point of telling my story, but, you know, your story is so unique and special. And I just encourage you to interact with that just between you and God, for yourself and with others. Yeah, it's about love. It's about God's perfect love. And his perfect goodness. Yeah. God is so good. Oh, yeah. God bless you, Natalie. Thank Thank you you so much for sharing. Thank you. That was Karen Hunt chatting with Natalie Wood. 
and unpacking her life story. As we heard, Natalie had learned about the importance of being open to God and is now using her story to encourage others. As the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, whoever brings blessings will be enriched and one who waters will be watered themselves. Some important lessons in life for all of us. Well, thanks for joining us for Natalie's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. This instrument is the most important instrumental in Chinese instruments. For our who, the, the history almost over a thousand years. I didn't like that instrument. Trust me, even our who bring me uh, so many awards, so many honor for me. Suzanne Shu is a virtuoso musician who plays the traditional Chinese instrument called the ahu. But even though she's won numerous awards playing her instrument, she says it wasn't until she became a Christian that she actually began to enjoy playing it. We'll find out her story next time. The story. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 